Hey guys, and welcome to Fika with Rice, a podcast about life hacks, inspirational life stories, routines, and keys to success. I'm your host, Frederick Van Hoon, and each week I meet some of the most incredible people in the world from self-made millionaires, best-selling authors, experts, and world-class athletes. My goal is to extract their wisdom, mindset, tools, so you can use them in your daily life, but above all, to inspire you. Let's get this Fika started. Welcome to episode 9 by Fika with Rice. This week we meet Lucin Merabi, one of the most influential negotiation professionals globally and an expert in emotional intelligence. Why don't the best students in school succeed later in life? What is the most important skill set a CEO should have? In this episode we learn tactical tips on how we can learn more about our emotions and effectively communicate our emotions, which is one of the most sought after skills in today's globalized world. A very tactical conversation filled with nuggets of what skills employers are really looking for and how you can develop them no matter age or profession. This is Lucine's story. Let's go. Hello, Lucine. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm really grateful to have you here on the show. Um, I thought to start by asking you, if I just met you and I asked you, what do you do? What do you answer? Hi, Frederick. Nice to be here with you. So I'm a professional negotiator. Uh, I help companies with their complex negotiations. They reach out to me for three different reasons. It's either I go in and I train their teams. It's often leadership development in complex negotiation, leadership and emotional intelligence. Or they're having a very important negotiation and I go in as an advisor behind the scenes. So nobody sees me, but I help the team prepare the negotiations and debrief the negotiations and decide who's going to negotiate. And then at every negotiation run, we debrief and we put in the best people. Or the third, for whatever reason, they don't want to negotiate themselves. They hire me and I negotiate on their behalf. So those are the three main things. And then to share my knowledge, I'm also a speaker. Um, I give inspirational talks on how to negotiate with others, but also how to negotiate with yourself. Thank you for that, Lucin. So I've spoken to thousands of really talented young people. Um, and for many of them, their biggest dream is to go into investment banking. And um, when I was preparing for this conversation, uh, I realized that you were in that world and that industry, which is a dream for so many young people. Why did you leave? Yeah, so prior to, being, uh, to doing what I do now, I indeed worked in investment banking for 15 years. I started out for an investment bank in Rotterdam and then moved to Paris. And I was always responsible for the structured products uh, in Europe. And at the end, I also worked for the Paris Stock Exchange. Um, I came in a bit by coincidence. It wasn't really what I had planned, but uh, that's just how life goes. And I left because for me, you know, you're saying for some people it's a dream. For me, it wasn't really a dream. I came in as a coincidence. I grew quite fast. Uh, and then I realized I'm on the wrong, wrong ladder. It wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy it as much as I thought I would. Um, and it was after I had my second child, I went on maternity leave. I came back and I was preparing all my files to get back into it. And that's when I realized for the four or five months that I was away, I didn't miss the stock exchange, not one single day. And that's when I realized I have to go. I don't belong here anymore. Why do you think so many people are not fulfilled in their jobs? Um, I think one of the reasons is because 
from a young age, we are pushed to go study, go study so that you can have a job. And then once you have a job, or at least that's what happened to me, since I was having a good job, a good position, a good title, a good uh, salary, I felt almost guilty not to like it. You know, seeing other friends of mine struggle to find a job, I almost felt guilty. Like, you know, I have it all. How come I don't like it? So just zip it and then uh, not listen to that inner voice that's saying what you what you do want and what you don't want. So one of the mistakes is following the herd. The second reason is not listening to that inner voice that is informing you over and over again what you want to do and what you shouldn't be doing. And if you don't listen to that voice, and that's what we see all over the place, is that voice becomes more loud and more loud and more loud. And if you then still don't listen, then it comes as a burnout or a depression or a disease until you finally listen. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you followed that inner voice. I think a lot of people, they, um, we all have that inner voice. And I think a lot of people struggle to listen to that because they have this external noise, you know, that they're trying to please or they've been taught that, well, I should be doing that. Uh, why should I be complaining, you know? So, exactly. And yeah. I also see a lot of hope for the new generation. I see there are a lot of people who are more connected to, to who they are, to what they want, because they start doing activities that they enjoy. There's more and more young people starting to meditate, for example. And that is a, a way to silence that external noise and the distractions and to really connect with yourself and say, who am I? What do I want to do? What am I interested in? What am I good at? And how do I want to live my life? So I do see more and more youngsters take that courageous path of saying, I don't care what people tell me that I have to do. I don't care about the classical way I'm supposed to do it. I want to do it my way. Have you, do you meditate, Lucien? Uh, I try to. I do meditate, not necessarily every single day and not necessarily, you know, just sitting still, but I do a lot of mindfulness and that I do every single day, several times a day, where I just try to pause what I'm doing and do what I'm doing, but in a form of slow motion way where I'm super aware of what's happening around me. It's very simple. You just focus on what do I see? What do I hear? What do I feel? You connect to your five senses, like physical. And that's what brings you back to the present moment. Um, so in terms of when, when things are really uh, complex or my calendar is super full, like, like today I have like seven uh, appointments, one after the other. Uh, I try to have these mini moments in between where I refocus on, okay, this is what I'm doing. And, and, and you'll see, you actually enjoy what you do way more because you're so aware of it. Oh, that's a really cool tip. So you have seven appointments. How do you exactly go into that? All right, let me refocus. Can you explain it in, in detail? Yeah. So first of all, the day before or the same day, I, I send an email to everybody like, are we confirmed for this day? Because you know how life goes. And then if people last minute uh, forget about something or cancel something, well, I had prepared, I don't really appreciate that. And the other way around. So I try to really commit to my commitments. So I, I remind people that is one. And then the number two is not, I'm talking to you. I'm fully with you. You know, my phone is off. My emails are off. I'm fully with you. And then I also plan the time about 10, 15 minutes in between each meeting where I can then shut down one and then go into the other. So I prepare one and then I jump into that. And it's in those moments that I'm fully present. But even now, as I'm looking at you, I'm like focused on 
what is it that you're saying? Where are we now? I can, I, I hear in 3D what's happening. You know, I hear the AC that is on in my office. I hear your voice. I see your body language. So I'm just fully with you. And when you do that, life, I'm, I'm telling you, it seems like life slows down and, and, and becomes more colorful. You just notice more things than if you're in this rat race, uh, which I've been doing for 15 years in finance. That's a really good tip. Um, that, that's a really, really good tip and a go, good life hack. I, uh, I started to meditate. I think it's been four years now, Luzin, like consist, consect every day I've been doing it, uh, 10, 15 minutes, sometimes 20 every morning. First thing I do, but, um, but that was born because I was, I was working, i still work a lot, but I was working so much and, um, I think I had a burn down because one day I, I woke up and had like 40 degrees uh, fever and I am never sick, you know, and I was taking like uh, paracetamol and it didn't help, you know, and I was like, what is this? So, well, I was like that for two days and I was like, okay, I need to, to slow down. I, uh, what is this meditation thing? I'm going to try it. And, uh, well, I haven't changed, you know, it's been very yeah. good. Well done. Thank you. But uh, thinking about new things, I read on uh, one of your LinkedIn posts, you're very active on LinkedIn, uh, which is great. Um, I'm trying to, to start to be more active now. Uh, it's a really, really cool social media. But I've seen that you, you like to implement new habits every month. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? That's really cool. And what's, uh, what I've seen is that you have like monthly challenges. What's the, what has been the most challenging that you've been, been challenging yeah. yourself to? Well, I've, I've done loads of crazy stuff. And you won't believe that the one that is the most challenging for me might seem like super easy for others. But I, I, I've tried this for three, four times. And every time I, I, I fail. So what's the monthly challenge and how does it work? It's very simple. It's every month and I'm not alone anymore. I have like this massive community. We do this together. So every month you decide for yourself one thing that you will do or not do every single day of that month. Okay. The, con the, the conditions are very simple. It has to be something that is beneficial for you. It has to be something that is challenging for you. And it has to be something that is daily. So not, I'm going to go to the gym three times a week. No, it has to be daily, but it doesn't necessarily have to be very long or very complicated. So I started by uh, not eating, not consuming sugar in any unnatural form for one month. And then that was hard, but it went quite well. And then I thought, you know what? 30 days is long enough for something to be like a real challenge, but is short enough to be doable with goodwill alone. So if you have a strong will and a good motivation, you can do it for 30 days, whatever you, you put your mind to. So uh, that non-sugar thing then continued. I continued, for example, not putting sugar in my tea uh, until now. So that's been like four years. Um, and then the next month I did, I'm not going to consume any gluten. And then it became, I'm going to play for half an hour per day whatever, but play, I'm going to play for half an hour. So it's something that you do or you don't do. And then I quit smoking that way. I've done one month without alcohol. I've done uh, one, one month of every day, 10 minutes meditation. That's how I got into it. I've done one month of half an hour yoga per day, anything. But every month it's like that. Um, 
And uh, yeah, it really works. And the one that I feel at over and over again is when I say this month, I'm going to go to bed before midnight. And I just can't. <laughs> I, I'm curious to hear about the play. What do you play? Well, it's, it's any form of play where you just turn off the phone and you go with the flow and you do something that is not planned or productive because that is the current image we have of it. But play is actually super uh, productive because it creates you with your creative mind. Uh, I have two children and I'm just that kind of mom that I don't really enjoy being in playgrounds and that kind of stuff. Uh, but I forced myself from saying, I'm going to be half an hour like really playing with my kids or alone. So it can be just like a crossword puzzle or uh, doing a puzzle with my kids or playing hide and seek or anything. Just play. Phone is off. I'm just playing. I like that. We have. To, I think we all can like uh, evoke our inner child more often because in the end of the day, I mean, we're all children, you know. We are, absolutely. And the more we have attention for that child inside of us and the more we heal that child inside of us and the more we have attention that that child is still there, uh, the more we can become really like solid adults with inner peace that don't go around and, and, and use any addictive behavior just because that child inside is wounded and needs attention. Yes, absolutely. Okay, before we go into emotional intelligence, I need to ask you, you have been selected as one of the most influential negotiation professionals globally. What made you become an expert in negotiation? Because it's not something that you wake up and say, okay, I'm going to become an expert. No, no. Well, not for me, at least. It, uh, it was when I was working in finance for the Paris Stock Exchange. The company was super generous in, 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 turning, uh, in training budgets. So they brought in two professional negotiators who were former hostage negotiators from the Fra French Special Forces and one of them from a business negotiation expert. And they together created this method that you can use in any type of negotiation, be it business, hostage, uh, suicide negotiations, any type of negotiation. And they trained me and uh, some of my colleagues for a year long. It was really between September and May. Every other week, they would come in and train us anything about negotiation, about human behavior, lie detection, anything that comes with it. And I was so fascinated. I absolutely loved it. I was doing a lot of negotiations for my work, but having this method and this systematic approach of, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Helped me really step up my game. And I saw it right away when I was using it in the negotiations to, uh, that followed. And one day I remember I was, I was looking at this uh, teacher teaching us and I, I just thought, I want to do what you do. <laughs> but that was just an idea in my head. I didn't do anything with it. And then when the training was finished, they asked us to do a negotiation test, which is an online test. And I happened to score quite high because I was just so focused you know, on what they were teaching us and taking notes and really implementing it. Uh, and that's when they told me, you know, why don't you join us as one of our trainers? But back then, again, I was so focused on my job and being this finance lady that I just didn't consider that that would even be an option. So that opportunity went away. And then fast forward a few years later, I left. Uh, we moved from France to Dubai. I launched my own uh, coaching and training company. And that's when they saw on LinkedIn 
that I uh, was in Dubai and they reached out and said, well, well, now that you're working for yourself, why don't you join us and provide our trainings? The same that you had in the Middle East. So then it was the perfect time. And I said, yes, I went to Paris, got the whole train the trainer uh, training. And we did a lot of role play together. And then I joined them and now I provide their training here in the Middle East. So the company's name is ADN Group, which in French stands for the International Negotiation Agency. And uh, that's what we do. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. I think uh, the majority of people are not aware that they're negotiating every single day, whether that's with themselves, whether that's when you're taking the metro or the bike to work or having pasta or salad for lunch. Um, I actually took an international negotiation class when I studied in Japan when I was in university. I'm not on your level, Lucin, but <laughs> what are the top two or three most common mistakes people make when they negotiate? Mm. Well, I'm glad you said people don't realize that they negotiate and that is the number one error, that you're in a negotiation, but you're not aware of it. So if the other one is aware of it, then obviously they already have one step forward compared to you. So realizing that every conversation where there's a disagreement, an express disagreement, there is a negotiation happening. Uh, so we all negotiate every single day. The sooner we become aware of that, the better. So that is mistake number one. Mistake number two is um, not preparing enough. A good negotiation really needs preparation. So not taking even five minutes to say, what am I doing here? What does the other party want? What do I want? What is the information that I have? What is it that I need? Um, can make you miss out on a lot of things because then you go in with a lot of ego and with a lot of passion or emotion and then you can really mess it up. Uh, what is another mistake is that people assume, people assume all the time that they know what the other party wants and, you know, without asking the right questions, without validating, they assume that I know. And there's this beautiful thing. Can we curse on your show? Thank yes, you. not a problem. Okay. Write down the word assume. Okay. Okay, let me do it right away. Yeah, just write the word assume. Okay. Now, put a vertical line between the S and the U. Yes. And then put another vertical line between the U and the M. Okay. So now you have three words, yeah? When you assume you're making an ass of you and me. Oh, wow, that's a good one. Very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) So you remember that one, never assume anything. Go in there neutral, humble, like, I don't know anything. What does this party want? What is important to them? Care to know what is important to the other party. Don't be only focused on you, error number four or five. Many people are just focused on what what they want, right? So they go in and say, okay, this is what I want. And this is why that's so important. And then they go into uh, giving arguments and that kind of thing. And you don't have to negotiate that way. Go in knowing what you want, of course, but humble enough to wanting to know what does the other party want, what is important to them, and how can we come to an agreement that seems fair to everybody? Yeah, I think um, those are some very good um, good reflections, Lucin. I, I think a lot of people, they, they are so in their mind, you know, that they are not really thinking, you know, of the other person's perspective, you know. So let's say that I, I want to improve my negotiation skills. How do I do go? What are like two, three actionable tips that you could give? 
Yeah. So first of all, it's realizing that we all negotiate every single day and how important it is to improve our negotiation skills. Um, and, you know, of course you can go and, and, and read a book or go online. There's so much information available now. You have so many professional negotiators that share their craft and their stories and their tips. So you can, you know, listen hours and hours and hours on, on, on podcasts and, and, and YouTube videos um, to just understand what is negotiation, etc. But if you want to do it in your daily life, right, like right away without even learning anything, my number one would, tip would be to work on your listening skills. People assume they can listen because they have two ears, but ears allow you to hear, not necessarily to listen. There's a massive difference. So next time you're having a conversation, like literally the next conversation you're having after listening to this, try to shut down that inner voice or that your own voice that just wants to answer. Okay? Say, it's not about me. It's not about what I think or the beautiful answer, you know, that I can give. It's what is it that the other person is really saying? And then just focus. Whatever question you're going to ask is simply to ask them if what you understood was correct or to validate. You're going to be so focused with that other party that I promise you, your relationships will improve, your knowledge will improve, your humility will become more you know, uh, developed. Uh, and you will be more calm in every conversation because you're really with the other person. You're really listening. And then you will remember more. You will learn more. You know, when you speak, you just speak. But when you listen, you hear and you learn. You don't learn much when you're speaking. You learn when you're listening. So just try to be there as an active listener, really wanting to understand what's happening. Listening skills is something that is relatively easy to develop. And the majority of people, like way more than 90%, don't know how to truly listen. So if you develop this bond, especially at a young age, it will have massive benefits your whole life. Oh, wow. That's a bold statement huh? that the 90% of people... Uh, way more. I mean, I'm being like to... really conservative here, but I, I would pull that even to 97. Just look around you. And how many conversations have you been that you felt really listen to, that you felt really seen, that you felt really acknowledged, you can remember those conversations because it gave you such a good feeling because it's so rare. It is true. It is true. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like rethinking of conversations I had the last seven days. And yeah, I can feel like in my soul and my, my energy, I can feel if somebody is actually taking in what I'm saying, or if it's going in in one ear, going out in the other. Yeah. Okay. So Lucin, a lot of people I can imagine, you know, um, they have emotions, you know, when they are negotiating, I mean, it could be you're buying an apartment, you're angry with your, your broker, or you're upset with your supervisor and you want to have a new salary. How do you effectively control or manage your emotions when you negotiate, especially if you're a very emotional person? Yeah, that's an excellent question. Emotions are part of everyday life. And the sooner we accept that and we allow them to be, the better we can manage them. It's not about pushing your emotions away. It's not about um, shying away from your emotions. It's embracing them as your allies. Your emotions are not there to piss you off. Your emotions are not there to ruin your life. Your emotions are there to guide you. 
So the number one thing would be to become aware of your emotions, to become aware of emotions to begin with. What are emotions? Simply physiological reactions of your body towards something that is perceived as a threat or, or, or a danger. Then knowing about them allows you to you know, demystify the whole thing. And then not being afraid of them, of saying, oh, there you are, fear. What are you afraid of? There you are, emotion. You know, like distancing yourself with the emotion. You are not your emotion. You are a human being feeling an emotion. There's a massive difference. You are not your emotions. And that is what I don't like about most of the languages. When in, in the English language, for example, we say, I am angry. You might be angry, but you're not anger. So instead of saying, I am angry, you say, I feel anger. That already puts the necessary distance for it not to take over everything. So first, learn about emotions. Second, don't be afraid of emotions. Third, embrace them as guides, as information of what it is that you need. Every emotion has a hidden need. So if you understand those, then you can um, satisfy those needs and then just see them of, oh, fear, there you are again, oh, anger. Uh, what is the need and how can I satisfy that need? Um, f- emotions, Frederick, are simply messengers. Don't shoot the messenger. Listen to it. What is the need behind? And, and then you can take care of it. And then also, if you're having, for example, a massive important negotiation and you feel that, I don't know, you become super sad and you feel like, shit, if this continues, I'm going to cry and I don't want to cry in front of people. Don't hesitate to ask for a timeout, you know? We don't hesitate to ask for a timeout when we have to go to the toilet. So why don't we ask a timeout if we just need to uh, go through an emotion and we don't want to go through it in front of other people? Just ask for a timeout. You know? I need a break. Can we have a five-minute break? And then you go. You take care of your emotion in a nice, humble, and, 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 and pathetic way, you know, without, uh, without being too harsh on yourself. Why am I feeling this? That will only make it worse. Um, and then you just go back and that's it. So let's not be afraid of emotions. Let's embrace them as our allies. That's, um, that's very deep. Um, and even if it happens, imagine you, you, like somebody really pisses you off on a negotiation table. I mean, that happens all the time, right? And they start, I know, I don't know, hitting the hands on the table and say, I don't want this and this is ridiculous. You know, some people use it as, as a technique, as whatever. It, instead of going with it and then raising your voice and seeing who is the who has the biggest uh, ego and presence, you just use that in your advantage by saying, "Well, I can see that this is important to you." You know, or obviously, I said something that uh, hits something uh, with with you. So let's talk about it. You just use it, and if it happens to you, then you can also say, "This is making me really angry." There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with putting words into your emotions. You know how many times I've been into a negotiation and and I had to say, this really pisses me off. Yeah, so it doesn't mean I'm going to get angry or do something with that anger or or yell at somebody or, you know, throw my phone at their head. It just means I'm feeling angry. That's it. Yeah, that's um, that's really deep. It makes me think of... um... Um, I think his name is Kustamato. He's the, he used to be the coach of Mike Tyson when Mike Tyson was dominating the world in boxing in the 80s. Um, and um, Mike Tyson used to be really, really afraid before every fight. You don't think that he was like the really? baddest man on earth, basically, right? 
uh, knock people down within 10, 15 seconds. And um, he would feel really, really afraid. And his coach would tell him that those are all emotions. And I was thinking about that. Like either you use it as a fire to fuel you, you know, or you use, or your emotions will take over you and you will become paralyzed basically. Yeah. So, so interesting. Mike Tyson. Like, thank you for sharing that. Who would have thought that, right? And exactly. I have the same thing when I'm speaking. I mean, I've been speaking on stages for hundreds of times, but every time I'm on a, I'm on a stage and they, and they give that microphone to me or, you know, they connect it to my, to my head. In that moment, I just feel the, 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 it's a mix of anxiety and excitement and fear coming up. And then you feel it in your throat, like, oh my God, I need to drink water. And then my heart beats. And I'm like, they're going to hear in this microphone how fast my heart beats. But then since I'm not afraid of my emotions, I simply like distanciate myself from it. Like I'm looking inward and saying, oh, hi, fear. There you are again, trying to protect me because I'm going to do something scary, but I can handle this. Let's go for it. I go first few words and it's gone. You don't have to do anything with your emotion. Just let it be. It's true. When I give speeches, Lucen, I, I, I feel the same thing, by the way. I, I have uh, realized that breathing helps a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Breathing helps you know? as well. It's just don't be afraid of it. Just observe it. Let it be. And then do what you have to do. And, and, and of course, experience helps. Uh, uh, I'm not as anxious as, you know, like 20 years ago. But still, it's there. And it's fine. Um, Lucine, so we live in a very globalized world. For example, in our company, we have 14 different nationalities uh, and you lived in Paris um, and in the Netherlands, you were born in uh, Iran, but your parents are from Armenia um, and we don't negotiate the same way, um, you know, around the world. What are your top two advices uh, on negotiating in different cultural contexts? Yeah. Uh, it's true that we don't necessarily negotiate the same way, although most of the things in negotiation are not necessarily negotiation skills, but human skills. You know what I said about listening? Everybody wants to be listened to in every single country. Uh, but then there are a few cultural differences, like, for example, um, the, the, the distance you keep between people or the, the timing when you negotiate, is it during dinner, is it after dinner, is it during a business lunch, is it after? Those kind of things are important to bear in mind. And then where do you sit on a negotiation table? The, the, those kind of things might be culturally uh, different. Uh, the, the place of a woman in certain countries, you know what I'm seeing here in the Middle East, and I'm being born in Iran, as you said. So you just adapt to that. But for me, cultural Culture is just an aspect that you bear in mind when you're analyzing the context at, at the same way as when you're analyzing your counterpart. You need to know, okay, who is this person? What is important? What is not important? And then culture comes in there. And you, of course, you have to bear in mind what, how important that is and you have to respect that and you have to you know, not make a faux pas in, in, in cultural errors. But the main things of negotiation are exactly the same everywhere internationally the whole aspect of empathy of respect of credibility doing what you say saying what you do uh not bluffing if it's not the right uh strategy to use uh being collaborative when you can listening to people 
um, at the end having a formal agreement and then respecting that agreement, following up on it. It's it's you know it's it's everywhere exactly the same. And then the cultural aspect is just the same as when you negotiate with me. You're not going to negotiate exactly the same way as when you negotiate with your mom or with your friend or with your spouse. So that is it. You know that's when culture comes. Okay, interesting. Uh, what was your negotiation of a lifetime? You must have a favorite one. Favorite as in it went well or it was challenging or it didn't go well? Well, let's go with your... How about if I just say your favorite one? Could be challenging or that it went well. Or the most memorable one, maybe. Yeah, there was one negotiation where the stakes were about me, myself. So I was negotiating something for myself. That was very important to me because it has to do with my values and about things that I was just never going to walk away from. This negotiation had to succeed. Um, And it was also, since it was about me, there was also a lot of emotions involved. And it was in a period of my life where I was uh, uh, very tired and also physically not at my best. So that was very challenging in every aspect to do that negotiation on my own. And people told me, you know, you have to delegate this negotiation, let someone else do it. But it was so important for me that I did that negotiation, that I went for it and it lasted for more than a year. Uh, More than a year, day in, day out, created a lot of suffering for me and my family. And my husband was just saying, get out of this negotiation, you know, just give in, just stop it. And I said, no, this is too important for me, but also the next generation. So that one was a tough one. And um, on the other side, they used a lot of techniques that, you know, are not very ethical to me. But the end was, was a success and I achieved way more than what I had initially in mind. Uh, some things happened that were in my favor. And then at the end, I got way more than what I was initially asking for. So that was a success, but it came at a high price. But I'm still looking back proud. Like I didn't give up. I did what, what had to be done for me and the next generations after me. Um, I think you mentioned something interesting, Lucien. I think um, a lot of people, when they go into negotiation, I think a lot of people, they don't reflect on what they're willing to give up or what's the price they're willing to pay. You know, I'm not talking about dollar or euros, you know, like in general, what's the price you're willing to pay, you know, in terms of suffering or whatever that can be. So. It's super, it's true what you say, and it's super important that you decide before you go into a negotiation, what is your walkaway point? What is the point where you say, no then? And in business negotiation, in any type of negotiation, you have to know what is your walkaway point. And then if you see that the negotiation is coming close to that or, or even below that, then you also have to have the courage to stand up and say, then no, thank you. And bye-bye. And that is also what a lot of people don't do. It's a bit like investing. You're like, if I would just do this, then maybe we can still obtain it. We've been negotiating for so long and we're almost there. And it's with investing, like you bought something, it's going down, down, down. And you're like, but maybe one more week and then it will go up. There has to be a point where you take your loss in investing or in negotiation where you say, enough, I'm not doing this. I'm not willing to pay this price. This is my non-negotiable. And if you're a good negotiator, you will know that your non-negotiable is rarely about money, about price, about an amount. Your non-negotiable has to do with your values has to be with you have to pull a line in the sand or saying i am not crossing this this is it and i'm not letting anybody else cross this so if we come to that point then no and you walk away and you find another solution but you you're right many people don't do that and then 
as you go into negotiations and emotions come up and ego comes up and you thinking you can still have, make it work because it took you so long to get to that point. That's when people make mistakes and give in too much or accept too much or whatever. So yeah, know your walk away point and respect it. Yes. I, um, I, um, have found, and I was thinking about it now when you were speaking, listen, that I was listening, but, uh, I was thinking that I think to, to be a good negotiator, I think you have to be comfortable with people. You have to be comfortable in your own skin and be comfortable to actually communicate, you know, and I mean, naturally I'm an extrovert and I, and I, I'm well-traveled. I've been to 50 different countries. I like to speak to local people and, um, you know, and I, I try to learn like a few words in a local language and that helps if you're in a local market in Egypt or you're in a local market in Cambodia or Thailand, because you're going to get a better price, you know, and then, but you need to know when to walk away. It's true. Yeah, and I'm happy you said it's true because what you're doing unconsciously by visiting their country, trying to speak their language, what are you doing? You're showing respect. And people like to be respected. You're showing that you care. People like to be cared for and about. That's all that you're doing. And when you speak their language, you're like going into their world and you're making the effort because you don't speak that language. You're already making an effort to communicate with them, to understand them. And and that's what's being valued. And that's why people are happy to give you an additional discount because they just feel listened to and respected and valued. And that's exactly what has to happen uh, in a negotiation. And I'm glad you said that you're an extrovert. And many people mistakenly think that in order to be a good negotiator, you have to be an extrovert because you have to be loving to talk, etc. But as I said, listening is way more important than speaking. So introverts can be excellent negotiators. Both can be excellent negotiators. It's just like leadership. It's nonsense to believe you have to be an extrovert to be a good leader. It's a different way of leadership. It's a different way of, of uh, negotiation. But we need both. I mean, when I'm giving uh, speeches to hundreds of people, people think I'm an extrovert, but I'm not. I'm an introvert. And uh, that works fine. I just know when I need to use certain skills, which I do. But as soon as the talk's finished or I've, you know, I've shaken some hands and talked to a few people, I need to go and be alone. And that's fine. Interesting. Okay, good. Um, Luzin, let me, let me make a statement here. Without women, the world wouldn't evolve and grow and women are better negotiators than men. Why do you think that's the case? Well, statistically, uh, that's proven. So that's true. Naturally, so if nobody has been trained or whatever, naturally, women tend to be better negotiators. Why? Because of evolution, women tend to be um, naturally more inclined to collaborate. Uh, whereas men, hunters, and, you know, going back in time, uh, more ego, more testosterone, they tend to go in more aggressively to get what they want. So if you think short term, maybe that strategy is uh, working and you get what you want. But then on the long term, you can ruin, you can ruin relationships, you can ruin your uh, reputation, you know, uh, you can think about something who aggressively negotiated something with you. They might have gotten what they wanted, but do you want to negotiate with them again? Probably don't, right? So on the long term, it's better to have a collaborative approach and go in collaboratively as whenever you can. Women also tend to be better listeners because for evolution, in order to take care of uh, children, women had to learn to understand what the cry of the baby means 
And as all mothers know, different cries mean different things. And that is something that, that women naturally have and then can use in negotiation. A third thing is that we observe more and we tend to um, pick up on body language more naturally, more instinctively and more correctly uh, than men. So you combine all those things, it just gives us uh, uh, an advantage. However, are women negotiating more? No, they're not. And why is that? Because often it's lack of self-confidence. The more it becomes high stake, the fewer women you will see. So if you go into hostage negotiation, for example, you don't have that many women. If you go into M&A negotiation, like I was doing in business, you don't have that many women. It's because women still don't give enough credits to themselves, to what they're doing. And it's also, of course, the education and the role of the father in the family and then the leader, etc. It's a lot of subconscious bias in the society that we live in. And I believe that even with the best trainings of the world, since it's subconscious, it will take a lot of time, several generations, because before we have men and women looking at negotiation the same way, women asking uh, for more than you know what they would naturally do, but also men not seeing women who ask as something you know rude or whatever. We are often surprised when a woman asks for a salary increase, whereas men asking, it seems normal. So there's a lot of unconscious bias that needs to change. And that is why I hope, you know, inspiring other uh, people to negotiate for what they want, but mainly women, you know, looking at me and saying, if she can do it, I can do it. And come on, ladies, we need to negotiate better. Why do you, uh, first of all, I, it makes me think of... Um... Your response made me think of a book that I read last year. It's called Sapiens. And how women and, and mothers you know, had to, were forced to like, have very good listening skills, but also, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, but protection skills, because they actually had you know, a child or children that they had to care for. You know? But why do you think um, women have that in their subconscious? Which part? The part that, well, I'm not going to speak up for myself. No, I'm not going to negotiate my salary because if you mentioned the salary, that made me think, well, you lived in France and, you know, the salary um, part for men and women, the difference is very high for the same job. And we're in 2021, you know? Yeah. And it's still happening. And it was happening with me. I was having a colleague and we did exactly the same thing. Uh, exactly the same client, serving exactly, doing everything exactly the same, uh, but he was earning more than me. So why is that happening? Because women tend not to ask. That is like a fact, uh, you know, backed by uh, studies and numbers and, and statistics. That's just a fact. So why don't they do it? First of all, it's women are more um, in tune with the entire community instead of only themselves. And there is this sense of what you said in terms of protection, in terms of protection, we need the whole community to collaborate together and there needs to be peace, etc. So unconsciously, we think that if we ask for something that's going to be uncomfortable, that might create conflict and we want to be, uh, we, we want to walk away from conflict because that's a danger to the survival of the community. Now, this is all unconscious. So then they just don't ask for the peace you know, let's keep the peace. So that is one of the reasons. The second is 
a lack of self-worth. We see that with men as well, but women are just more aware of it. Like, oh, but this is good enough. You know, but, and also thinking that they, I'm just going to work hard and then they will give it to me. Mm-mm. That's not happening that way. If you don't ask, you don't get. It's as simple as it is. Um, and then uh, also lack of self-confidence. Again, the fear of conflict that makes them think like, oh, never mind, I'm not even going to ask. So it's not that they ask and they get a no, it's they don't even ask. So we need to start becoming comfortable with a no and realizing that the no is just the beginning of a conversation uh, and, and simply go for it. Because especially, I mean, your audience is, is mainly young people, especially in the beginning of your career. If you don't get the salary right, let's say you earn, I don't know, $30,000, but your male counterpart earns $35,000, that $5,000 in the beginning is massive amount at the end when you add the incremental, et cetera. And then you have bonuses based on the fixed salary. So then the bonus will be less and then all the other advantages and this and that and that and that. So especially in the beginning, it's super important to start off at the rate that you deserve. And that's when preparation comes again. Go check what is normal in this field um, and know how to negotiate, you know, the maximum you can to begin with. But anywhere you are in your uh, career, it's never too late to go and get what you deserve. I think it's important that it's a very good advice. I'm really glad that you said that. I think a lot of people, young people, anyone actually, um, to hear that advice. So, all right, let's move on to emotional intelligence. So one of the things, that's one of the things that you teach. I read this book called Intelligence, uh, Emotional Intelligence 2.0 by um, John Greaves and Travis Bradbury a few years ago. And it really opened my eyes. I don't know if you know that book. It's white and orange. Yeah. Yeah, I have it on DVD. Very, very cool. I have even passed it on to some of our team members. Um, what, what is emotional intelligence for those that don't know? Yeah, so emotional intelligence is a mix of several uh, skills that allows you to go inward, like have self-perception of who am I, how do I communicate, etc. And then take that to others. How do I communicate with others? How is my relationship building, etc. And then take it to the life. How do I stand in life in terms of stress management, flexibility, optimism? All those things are part of emotional intelligence. So you could say anything that can help you to succeed in your career, in your life, that is not IQ, that is not hard skills. So everything else, all those soft skills that are super important, most of them are part of emotional intelligence. So we're to be very precise, we're thinking... Uh, emotional awareness. Do you know what you're feeling? Emotional expressions. Do you know how to express and explain to others what it is that you're feeling? Um, Self-worth, going for what you think you deserve, going for your dreams, optimism, empathy, uh, stress management, flexibility, uh, teamwork, all those things. It's emotional intelligence. Yeah, I... uh... I've read that many successful CEOs, uh, leaders, but also entrepreneurs have a very high level of emotional intelligence, but also the opposite, that they don't. Yeah. What's true and why is that? Well, I think the new generation of leaders that is aspiring to become um, 
inspirational leaders that they have natural followers because what they do and not because of their authority. These uh, type of leaders tend to have a high level of emotional intelligence, but you can also be a leader and have zero level of emotional intelligence and even be a psychopath and still succeed because you are so focused on what is it that you want and you don't necessarily treat people well, but you still get things done because it's, for me, it's like the old way. But yeah, that also works. So you don't necessarily have to have high emotional intelligence to be a leader, but I believe you do need it to be a good leader. I agree with that 100%. I agree. Emotional intelligence is so crucial, you know, especially because we're dealing with people, you know, when you're working in a workplace. So, Yeah, but you have a lot of leaders. Let's look uh, an example that comes to mind, for example, is Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, you can read the books about it or people who were worked with him. He wasn't super kind to the people that were working with him. He wasn't super kind. He didn't have very high social skills. Uh, he was like a loner and doing things and you just had to follow what, what, what he wanted. So his EQ was quite low. His IQ was, was high and he had these visionary ideas and that's what, you know, got him to succeed. But was he a good leader? No. It's true. I was going to mention him, but okay. yeah. thank you for bringing that up. That is a good up. example. But then you go, you look at people who, who tend to attract naturally followers. And then we can look in history and people like Martin Luther King, people like Nelson Mandela, people like Gandhi, you know, who naturally attract by who they are and how they treat people and the visions that they have. It's a whole different way of doing, but that's the kind of leader that you then become. That is, has everything to do with high emotional intelligence. It's true. It is true. Yeah. What are two or, or three tips people can take to improve their emotional intelligence today? And can anyone get a higher level of emotional intelligence? Yes, absolutely. So that's already the second question answered. You can definitely develop your emotional intelligence if you simply start reading about what is it and, and wanting to develop it and then grow it because we all already have emotional intelligence. It's just a matter of knowing what is it and how can I develop further? Uh, so, and that's when, that's why I love uh, doing emotional intelligence and negotiation with, because it goes hand in hand. Um, so the whole listening and the empathy and the flexibility and the optimism, you needed to be a good uh, negotiator and you needed to uh, have high EQ. So what can you do? Same again, you can learn about it. You can develop it first starting by one thing to develop it. And then you can, you can easily develop it. Just start from wherever you are, pick one that you would like to develop, just develop it simply. You know, you can even do it like my monthly challenge. This month, I'm going to develop this skill. And then next month, you do one, one. In one year, you're going to be a completely different person. And that will serve you for, for uh, your entire life. Oh, one more thing, you know, what I'm really passionate about. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm completely passionate about human behavior and why do people do what they do. And as a negotiator, that's my job. I need to understand and, and, and go into uh, other people's world to understand how do they see the world and how can I influence that. But uh, as a behaviorist, I'm passionate about how do people negotiate with themselves. And that's when emotional intelligence comes in. What are the conversations that you have with yourself? What is the empathy that you have towards yourself? How fast can you forgive yourself when you make a mistake? How resilient are you and can you get back up when you made a mistake? All those things, you can find in emotional intelligence. It's not because you were, uh, you know, you're super good at your job or you're, you're excellent in math, 
that when life throws difficulty at you, you're going to know how to deal with it. That's all emotional intelligence that you need. Empathy, resilience, forgiveness, all those things. I'm going to make a training one day about how to negotiate with yourself. I think. Thank you. No, I I was thinking it's, it, it is true. You know what you're saying? Like how much empathy we're giving to ourselves because you know, when you're working and then it's late, okay, should I go to the gym or not? I've already packed my bag. And then you're starting that conversation with yourself, you know? So, I mean, it's just an example, but there are so many, you know, should I buy that, I don't know, croissant or should I buy that donut? Absolutely. It, it starts literally the moment you open your eyes. If you have an alarm clock, am I going to get up or am I going to snooze? That's the first negotiation you're having with yourself. It's true. And then throughout the day, the whole day you're negotiating with yourself. So might as well become an ally of yourself. Might as well become your own cheerleader. You know, when you're looking in the mirror, are you only seeing your flaws or, or, or also are you telling yourself, well done? Have you ever given a compliment to yourself? I'm not talking about the physical aspect. Have you given a compliment for something that you achieved? Look in the mirror and say, well done for that thing. The relationship with yourself will improve. You know, give a high five to yourself in the mirror. I don't know. Do something that you recognize you. It has a massive difference. Why do we need recognition from others if we can give it to ourselves? Why do we need approval for others if we can give it to ourselves? You know, we go around, especially now with social media, trying to have the most beautiful posts so that we get the most likes. How many likes do you give yourself? I love that. You know, I love that like 200%. You know, I've had conversations with so many people through this podcast and uh, this, this has come up so much, you know, especially with the younger generation, like they're posting something and everything is about, all right, how many, who liked it? How many liked it? You know, I need to take 25 selfies to pick one, you know? Um, I mean, it's pretty sad, you know? It is. And I remember posting one thing. Uh, I posted a video about women and not asking, uh, it was like, ask for what you want and stuff. And I was so proud of that video. I, it was so important for me that that message came out. And then I posted it on LinkedIn. And then the first one hour, there was not much engagement. And I thought, well, whatever. But I remember having a conversation with my husband that evening saying, I am so proud of that video. I don't care. Even if there is one person that will actually take an action based on what I was sharing there, I would already be happy. But then afterwards, it got liked and stuff. But that inner satisfaction that I had of making that video and saying exactly what I wanted to say and posting it out there was so much more important than how many likes uh, it got. But the, very few people are like that. And of course, it's important how many likes you get. That's the reason people do it. But if you can be content, if you can be happy, if you can be satisfied with who you are, with what you do, with how you do it, I promise you the opinions of others won't matter that much. And yeah, I, I think so. I think so. I, I, yeah, and you, you, you brought something up. As long as you yourself are happy with the message you're putting out there, you know, you don't care about the likes. You know, you just care about the impact and the goodness that it brings to the world. You know, like I, th I think that's good. You can go to sleep a very happy woman or man. Exactly, and that's why this yeah. exercise is super. You know, I, 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 it's something very simple that I advise my my, my clients. When you're brushing your teeth, look yourself in the mirror like eye to eye and tell yourself three high fives or three well-dones, three compliments that you have achieved that day. 
And you know, if you are like completely depressed and you got out of bed and you did something, that's already achievement number one. I didn't want to get out of bed, but I did. Well done. And then number two and number three. And if you cannot find three things that you are proud of yourself for, then I want you to look for five things. Because every single day you do things that you can be proud of, but we don't give ourselves that recognition. So when you become aware of it by doing this exercise, try it for 10 days. Something will happen because your brain during the day is going to start looking for things that you did well so that that evening you can answer that question. And that's when you start shifting instead of looking at all the bad things that you're doing and beating yourself up for it, focusing on everything that you're doing well and become more empathetic. And, and, and you know, when you fuck something up, sorry for my words, you forgive yourself and you move on. What are you gaining from blaming yourself? I, yeah, I love that. I think a lot of people lack that self-love, you know, to be honest. Of course, of course. And that's one of the biggest uh, sources of suffering in our everyday life, you know, and then we go out and we have an opinion about that politician and about that doctor and about that's happening in the world. And my sister said that and blah, blah, blah. Focus on you. You go home and have a peace negotiation with yourself. You forgive yourself first. You stop blaming yourself first. You start you don't even have to love yourself. Just start liking yourself, appreciating yourself, giving recognition for all those things that you've done well. You know, look back at your life. 100% of the difficulties you faced, you survived it. Isn't that worth anything? Enough hitting ourselves with all this mental thinking and blaming and enough. Put the guns down and give yourself a hug. I love that. Put the guns down. Yeah, it's true. Very, very wise words, Lucin. Well, um, I, I didn't learn it just from a book. Yeah, I, I learned from it because I was beating myself up mentally all the time until there came a place where I was just so beaten up um, that I thought enough, you know, enough. We have to do things differently because I can't go through life and face everything that I have to face if I beat myself up all the time. It's just not going to work. So there comes a point where enough is enough. And if this message is that for you, please make some, have a peace negotiation with yourself. Really, I'm going to write a book about this. Thank you for opening up on that, Lucin. Because I think a lot of people, they just read books and then they're like, yeah, I'm going to share this with the world, you know. And it's not coming from a true place, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So your message there, opening up about your own vulnerability, I think that's, that speaks volumes of, it makes the message stronger, if I may, if you know what I mean. Okay, so now we're in the COVID-19 world. And do you think and how, how have emotional intelligence become more relevant, do you think, since the COVID, COVID pandemic and the remote work, remote work well, hybrid world that we're living in? Yeah, more than ever. I mean, people are locked up in their houses. You know, we have international lockdowns, which I call house arrests. A country arrest, you can't move. Um, so that's when you're really in touch with yourself, right? And uh, it's very difficult for people. I mean, we are social beings. We are supposed to gather. We are supposed to be together. We are supposed to help each other. And here we are locked up in our house. Um, I think more than ever, it's important that people go inward. And, and maybe this is the right time to have peace negotiations with yourself, to get to know yourself better to go through your list of values of what is important to me, uh, what do I want to achieve in life? And most importantly, instead of performance-based goals, 
more goals in terms of who do I want to be? You know, what is the, the, what do I want people to say about me when I'm not there? And nobody's going to say that you are earning 100K. Nobody, nobody cares. It's what kind of a person are you? What kind of an impact do you make on people? How real can you be with yourself? Um, because naturally, we are wired to help each other. You see it all the time. For example, if there's a traffic accident, you see people stopping, helping. Um, somebody slips, you go, people go over and help them up. Uh, somebody has, you know, like real money trouble. You have the whole world participating in GoFund uh, stuff. Naturally, we are wired to help each other. And that is why what's happening now is the opposite of how we are naturally. And that is why it's creating so much suffering. But it's also an opportunity of saying, how can I connect with myself then? And then, you know, have have like a tiny rebirth. Uh, And then with that new person that you are becoming through the difficulties that we're all facing right now, connect differently with other people. I mean, you and I are having this conversation uh, online but it's still deep. Um, so I think this is a wonderful opportunity for people to connect with themselves and learn about who they are and what is important to them. I mean, I there are so many things that I used to do before COVID that I realized during the lockdowns that are simply not important. People I were hanging out with, things that I was doing, activities I was attending that are just not that important. And then when it falls away, you have this blank sheet of saying, how am I going to go back in the world and be true to myself and not doing all those things that I was doing out of habit, out of social pressure, out of thinking that's what I'm supposed to do and have this courage of saying, I'm going to live my life in my way. So what is important? And obviously, number one, as we all saw during this crisis, is health. Health is the biggest wealth. Health is the biggest wealth. And what do you do about it? How can you improve your health? That is the number one. But it's like the biggest reward you will get if you invest in your health. And we're in a pandemic. And why don't we just call it a health crisis? Because that's what it is. And people all of a sudden being all afraid of this virus that they might, you know, I might be killed because of the virus. But what I believe is that actually, People are not as much afraid of dying as they are afraid of dying and realizing they didn't actually live. The chances of you dying from COVID-19 is extremely low. I mean, that's not an opinion, that's simply statistics. But the chances of you dying without having actually lived is very high. Just look back and analyze your own life. How much was living? How much was surviving? Let's start living. You know, I I love that, Lucin, because, uh, you know, I did uh, exactly that reflection during the during the pandemic. And uh, yes, I was in house arrest here in Spain, in Barcelona. And uh, I was like, this is a good time to go even deeper inwards. And I think. um, To be honest, we're having a very great conversation, by the way, Lucin, so thank you very much. Um, But I think a lot of people, they. I think they're afraid to go inwards, you know? I think they're scared and uh, they just want to keep going, keep going with their daily lives because, well, why worry, right? But Or why think about something that might not happen? But I think it's important to reflect, you know? Are you really living or are you just living, you know? 
just living or existing. Yeah. Yeah. But more and more people are doing it. More and more younger people are doing it. And I really believe that that makes the world more beautiful because you see more and more people are becoming authentic. At the same time, you see the fake stuff happening on social media. But more and more people are waking up. More and more people are realizing we're not here just to, you know, go study, get a degree, go work, and then go die. That's just, it can't be that, right? For a lot of people, it has been, it will be, and that's fine if that's what you want. Uh, but more and more people are saying, I'm not playing this game. I want more out of life. I want more authenticity. I want more real things. I want to make an impact on people or on the world. Or I want my life to be meaningful. And it's when you're confronted with things like this that it's an opportunity. It doesn't mean you have to take the opportunity, but it's an opportunity. Uh, I was given that opportunity a few years ago, like a real wake-up call of what life is about and how important health is. And it just shifted my life. I decided to live life differently and get out of that rat race and say, enough, you know, enough is enough. I've been beating myself up with things, you know, doing things that I don't want to do, hanging out with people that I don't want to hang out with, pretending to be in a certain way that I don't want to be, um, enough. So I'm just going to go and and focus on what matters to me most, which is my family, my health, my family's health, security, security taking care of each other, helping each other, helping other people and making an impact. And everything else is just, you know, if I have time, but otherwise no. Yes. Um, you, you're speaking about your family. You have a family and you have children as well. Uh, you've been very public about your son having something called, if I pronounce it correctly, Duchenne muscular dystrophy, yeah. um, which is a 100% fatal disease for which there's no cure yet. Um, what does this taught you about life? Uh, yeah, so much. So it was 2017. My son was uh, just turned six. We celebrated his sixth birthday. And then a few days later, they informed us that he was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy, which is a disease that breaks down his muscles slowly but surely. It's not that slowly, actually. It's quite fast. Um, so back then he was still walking, uh, but now he's nine, um, he's almost 10 and he's, he's not walking that well anymore. It's more like this wobbly walk. Uh, he can't run anymore. He can't get up from the floor anymore. He can't jump anymore. He can't go up the stairs anymore. And we know that unless a miracle happens in the medical world, um, he's not going to survived this so far nobody has ever survived this disease life expectancy is very short on average somewhere in the 20s and you know obviously i'm in in all those facebook groups following uh other parents who have uh, children with duchenne muscular dystrophy and you just see literally every day rest in peace this boy went rest in peace that child and then you see eight years nine years ten years we just don't know how long we have and obviously that was the massive wake-up call that I needed of saying, life is short. We know this. We are born. We know we're going to die, but we pretend we're not going to die. And we all think we're going to be 100 years old. Who says that? Life is short. So looking at my son, literally going backwards physically day in, day out, is is, is a continuous reminder for me that life is short and to focus on what really matters. That is why we decided to move from one country to another, have like a clean start. And I'm trying to give him everything I can. And I'm not only talking about the material stuff, but the time and the attention and the love and the, you know, read one more book together, um, all those things, because his life is limited. 
But then again, that opens our eyes to saying, all our lives are limited. We're all going to die. So why don't we pretend that, why do we pretend that we're not going to die? We're all going to die and it can happen earlier than you expect. Don't assume you're going to be 100. You don't know that. Maybe you're going to be 30. Maybe you're going to be 35. Maybe you're going to have a bus accident. I don't know. And of course, God forbid, but that's the reality of life. You might die. And that is what COVID is also teaching us. You might die. How many people died because of COVID while they were busy making other plans, right? We just don't know. That's why what I'm doing for my son, I'm trying to apply for my own life, thinking this life has to matter. There has to be meaning in this. There has to be some form of impact. And my son has woken me up and has taught me a lot. You know, the way he's so in the moment, the way he's just accepting his disease. He has never complained about his disease, which is just incredible. You know, all the pain he's going through. And, and, and you know, last year he could still run. Now he can't. And, and he knows that, you know, it's not that he was born with one leg and that's it. You just accept it and you move on. It's like slowly things are being taken away from you. Um, and, and, and having to face that every day, you know, seeing your, your child suffering and you can't do anything, I think that powerlessness is just a horrible feeling. But then that allowed me to say, okay, I can't heal him. I can't cure him. And I'm not a scientist, but what can I do? And just that shift of saying, what is the one thing that I can do right now to move forward? That's what forces you to go in the present moment. And then you see that, you know, without hope, there's no life. Without optimism, there's no life. And it's a very slippery road to go into victimhood and whining and depression, which is very normal. And, and, and almost all special need parents go through that. That's fine as long as you don't see that as an end destination, but just a stop in life. And then you move back up and you say, I'm going to make the best of this uh, with the time that I'm, I've been given. Yeah, thank you for opening up about that, Lucin. I, I really applaud you for, for doing that. And it's very, very brave, you know, of you. Thank you. Well, it was, I went through a depression before when I was working in finance and going through something that, that really I didn't like. And I, I experienced that very unfair. And that was even before my son's diagnosis. So having gone through a depression myself, which lasted for 13 months, when we got the diagnosis, I was so happy that I went through that because I thought, that's not an option. We're not going to go back there. We're going to do things differently. So if I want to face this, that is so massive and so huge, which in the beginning, of course, I thought, I can't do this. I can't be that type of mom. I don't have the shoulders to carry a sick kid. I, you know, like God made a mistake. I can't do it. Give it to a strong mommy. I can't do this. Um, but then I also knew I'm not going back to depression. That's just not an option. I have to move forward. I have to be uh, there for my kid. So he has to see me joyful and motivated so that he becomes joyful and motivated. And that's when I realized in order to face this, I have to change me. And that is the hardest journey. And that is also the most rewarding journey. When you develop you, you develop yourself to face those things. And one of the books that inspired me a lot on this journey is from Viktor Frankl. It's a classic called A Man's uh, Search for Meaning. Um, and he went through massive hardship in his life. And one of my favorite quotes ever is when he says, when you're challenged with a situation that you can't change, we are challenged to change ourselves. Something like that. But it's exactly that message is so true when you can't face the situation you're in 
and that can be the COVID lockdown right now, or that can be, you know, the risk of, of getting COVID. When you're facing a situation that you cannot change, the only thing you can change is you. You can change the way you look at it. You can change the way you deal with it. You can change the way you let it consume you. You can change a lot, which would benefit you. And that is where our power is. I um, I love that book too. It's, uh, you know, it's one of the best five euros that I've spent. <laughs> so many. Exactly. It's a tiny book. It's not expensive. Millions have already been sold. It's really worth, I mean, you can read it in one day. It, and it's full of golden nuggets and life lessons. And, and for me, it really helped. I mean, thinking he went through all that and, you know, he kept his optimism and he kept inspiring people. Um, I have to be able to do that too, you know? And the first person I want to inspire is my son. But if by sharing my journey, I can inspire other people, let's do it. I have to go through this anyway. Um, what's the, the most important life lesson you want to pass on to your children? Mm. I would say be kind to yourself. I think that's really important. Coming from my own suffering of not having been kind to myself for years, for decades, uh, uh, I think, yeah, be kind to yourself. Know how to in, improve that self-talk. Uh, have some compassion for yourself. Learn how to forgive yourself quickly. Learn how to stand back up from defeat. Just keep going and keep that light of motivation that light of um, optimism uh, that things can and will be better than where you are today and that you can and will handle it uh, in the best way you can whatever whatever happens so yeah be kind to yourself I think that's super important yeah I like that I am um, I spoke to another person and I asked the same question and I remember the answer was optimism And I said, well, why optimism? And he said, if you have optimism, I don't have to be close to my child. The child can take care of himself or herself because you can achieve anything when things get tough. So Exactly. And that is what is helping me with this disease. You know, it's progressive. So it's only getting worse. It's never getting better. And the end stage is that my son is going to die way too early. So if I just think about that, It's a disaster, right? I can't focus. I can't do anything properly. So I have to focus on now and what can I do? But also without denying it, you know, that is a reality today unless they, they come up with something and science is advancing fast. And of course, I have hope that they will find something within his lifetime. Um, but I also have that knowledge that whatever happens, I will face it and I will stand back up and I will continue because I also have a, second child that is healthy and that I have to be there for her as well. So I know that whatever happens, I'll stand back up. I will allow myself to go through it and to, you know, have the pain that goes with it, but I will stand back up. And knowing that helps me go through every day, um, appreciate the little things and, and have that self-confidence of saying, whatever happens, I'll, I'll just deal with it. And also not being so focused on the future of all the bad things that might happen. You know, that's also a life killer that many people do all the worry about what might happen. Uh, that's just sucking out your energy and your time and your precious life. Leave it. You'll cross that bridge when you get there. Yeah, some, some good advices. Um, what if I just have um, a couple of more questions, Lucin. If you could go back in time, what would, it what would you tell your 20-year-old self? 
don't do a job that you don't like. That's, that that's a good one. Years. Okay. Uh, I mean, of course, there is the resilience part that is important. I mean, it's not that you go into a job, you don't like it the first week, and then you give up, right? There's a massive difference. But if you've been there for one year, two years, and you just really don't like it, and you're praying with sleepless nights or, or, or diseases, then you have to get out. It's your body talking to you. So don't do something that you don't like. I believe we were all born with certain talents. So things that we do naturally well, just naturally well. And if you think about when you were young, what were the things that you were just naturally drawn to, naturally doing well? And I believe that is where the magic is. Uh, because I believe we weren't born with talents out of coincidence, but we were born with them to actually do with it. I don't remember who it was, but there was this beautiful quote saying, something's in the lines of our talents, our life's gifts to us, and what we do with it is our gift back to life. Something in that. And I loved it. And it's so important. And so focus on what do you do naturally well? And I remember when I was a kid, I loved to do, you know, in school when you have to present something in front of the class. I loved that part, you know, and there was this little bit of nervousness, of course, but I just loved doing it. And then I thought, I want to be a presenter of the news. I want to present the news. But what I was actually saying is I just want to transmit knowledge. I just want to share something. And that's what I'm doing now as a trainer, as a speaker. And I just love it. You can literally wake me up at three o'clock in the morning, give a microphone and say, go speak. And I'll do it. I just love it. So Maybe with my love of speaking, and it's the same for expressing in writing. I love writing articles. I love sharing things through writing. We've been, you know, the other day I wrote a poem even. Um, and I believe that my love for writing and my love for, for speaking, if you combine that with the suffering I'm going through with my child that is sick, maybe I was given this child to speak about it, you know, to, to say what other people are feeling but have more difficulty expressing, being a, being a voice to them or sharing it, being, bringing more awareness for this disease that many people don't even know, um, and helping people who go through hardship. It doesn't have to be a sick child, but any type of hardship, and say, how can we face this? And again, I truly believe that the first step is having peace negotiations with yourself by you know, getting rid of all the things that you're doing to yourself, consciously or unconsciously, through the blaming and the judging and all those things. And say, I'm going to become my own best friend. And then I'm going to face this. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just thinking out loud. But I'm trying to make a sense out of this, out of this suffering. of saying there must be a reason that all of this is happening. And there must be a reason that I was given those talents that I was given. Maybe I need to combine both and make something out of it. Maybe I need to write a book about it. I would love to give a TED Talk about it. You know, we'll see. But... Uh, I, I try to see it that way so that at least there is something positive out of all this. Uh, because if you just see suffering as a coincidence, it's not really empowering and, and it doesn't really incite you to do something with it. It's true. I I love that you were thinking out loud. Uh, I think there's always some something that you can take out of a very bad situation or a suffering situation and something that you can pass on to the world because... There's a, that's a very good way to deal with it, you know. Um, you have a lot of clients and you're a very, very busy woman, Lucin. How do you stay organized each week and what are some of your tools and hacks to stay like on top of your schedule? Oh my goodness, I'm really not the right person to ask that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the thing is, I'm an organized mess, really. Like I know exactly, I know my calendar by heart. I don't know how that works, but I just have, <laughs> have this memory of knowing. But then a lot of things are a mess because I'm doing so many things at the same time. You know, I have to take care of all the medical appointments for my son. I'm following clinical trials that are happening. At the same time, I'm, I'm serving my clients. And then one day it's training, one day it's speaking, one day it's this, one day it's that. Um, I have to take care of my other daughter, the household, everything. So I would say that I'm not organized but I'm organized in my head. So I'm maybe physically not organized or I don't seem that organized, but I know exactly what's where, what's when and things that need to happen. Um, I, I would love to hear that answer from other people who do it better. And I could definitely improve on the organizational skills. I think I would achieve way more in life if I were a bit more organized. But then that's again, the compassion that comes in. You know, I forgive myself for being a mess sometimes and I forgive myself for being five minutes late sometimes and, and I give recognition for all the things that do go well and all the things that, that do work out. And uh, I'm like, okay, one day I'll be more organized. The only thing that is mega organized is my clothes and my books and my shoes, you know, it's like perfect on color and everything. I learned that from, from a book that I read. So that is all fine. But uh, all my notes and all these things and even my social media, I mean, you think there's a strategy? There's no strategy at all. All of a sudden, I'm an inspiration. I just post it. That's it. But if I were to have, you know, like this calendar or I'm going to post this, then it would just bring a bit more calm and peace. But yeah, no, I'm not there yet. That's in all honesty. Honestly, I have to improve my organization skills. That's okay. Yeah, I was just curious. So, Lucin, where can people find you to learn more about you and where can they go to say hello to you on social media? Is there anything you like to take LinkedIn. out? Only no, LinkedIn. I, All right. I believe this. I've been doing this for quite some time and I still don't have a website. So this is a message for people. You do not need a website to be successful. My calendar is full. It's fine. You don't have to be on all social media. I'm not on Instagram, I'm not on Twitter. You know, I don't have a Facebook page. I just have my personal Facebook profile, you know, for my family. And then I have LinkedIn. So LinkedIn, I'm quite active. I follow what's happening there. I have a beautiful community of people. We share our journeys together. Um, so people can find me on LinkedIn. And if one day in the future, I have a website, <laughs> then there. But for now on LinkedIn, and that's also one of the tips I would like to give to your audience. LinkedIn is a beautiful uh, social media channel where you're not going to be there and post selfies of yourself and want likes, but you can connect with a lot of people, um, make meaningful uh, connections, conversations, and it's never too early to be on LinkedIn. Even if you are a student, you know, make a nice headshot and just go on LinkedIn, follow what other people are doing, go follow the people that do what you would like to do um, and start. It's never too early to be on LinkedIn. I think it's a beautiful social media and it brought me a lot. I connected with, with very meaningful people, uh, fellow negotiators, fellow trainers, speakers. Yeah, it's beautiful. So only on LinkedIn you can have. Thank you. We'll definitely share that with our audience, Lucin. Yeah, I love LinkedIn. Uh, I mean, it's the second gr fastest growing social media out there. Um, so definitely a great tool. Um, it's been lovely meeting you, Lucin. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much. I think, I mean, I've been a guest on so many podcasts, but I think you were the, the first to ask so many deep questions, you know, like I need a break after this. Interview. <laughs> I mean, I, I go deep in every conversation, but you asked a lot 
in a row. And I'm very happy that especially for a younger audience, we can talk about these things and, and, and these things matter uh, because these things are life. And we have to stop pretending that, you know, there is a difference between life and career and the one you're at home and the one you're at work, you're just one person. So the more you can be at ease with that person, the better you can perform in the world, in your career and, and everywhere. So thank you very much for having the courage to ask me that kind of questions. Um, I think it's very meaningful and I wish you all the best with your podcast. Well done for doing this. And if I can help you in any other way, don't ask. Thank you very much, Luzin. Thank you for listening to Fika with Rice. I hope you enjoyed the show. Who do you want to have on our show? Let us know by sending me an email at frederick at absoluteinternship.com. And before you go, if you like this conversation, don't forget to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, or Spotify to get to listen to more inspirational stories and life hacks. We really appreciate it. See you next time and much gratitude for listening.